We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On yesterday's show, I discussed open theism and process theology. And these are both responses to what many of us have called throughout the ages the problem of evil. In other words, if there's a good God that's sovereign and omnipotent, then why doesn't he stop bad things? I'm going to discuss this and more on today's Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. As you know, yesterday, on that particular episode of the Rebellion, I tried to get away from politics for a day or so. I actually told you in the introduction that I wanted to try to get away from COVID and vaccines. I wanted to try to get away from the daily news with Joe Biden, AOC, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and all that is wrong with Washington, D.C. I was even trying to sidestep, or at least put on the back shelf, a lot of the other political discussions that seem to rule the land right now. And the reason I did that is not because... I think politics is irrelevant when we discuss theology, because indeed it is not, and theology is certainly not irrelevant when we're discussing politics. In fact, I took five minutes or so in yesterday's show to set the context, and I'm going to repeat that a little bit right now. Politics is grounded in theology, and theology does impact political discussion and political thought. In other words, there's a great deal of overlap between your political views and your theological views and vice versa. And to claim otherwise is just denial. I don't even care if you're an atheist because that atheism is a theological claim. Atheism is a theological claim by definition. And therefore, your worldview, your atheistic worldview, is going to impact your political worldviews, your value system, your morality, uh, your view of economics, your view of the COVID vaccine and freedom, human liberty, free will. All of these things are going to be affected and impacted by your atheism if you're an atheist. And likewise, if you're a Baptist or a Buddhist or if you're a charismatic or a Catholic, if you're a Methodist or a Muslim, all of these worldviews are going to have some sort of impact on the way you vote, the way you think, the way you interact with other people, the way you grant freedom or don't grant freedom to other people. You get my point. Your worldview does. It can't help but affect your political views. So when I say I want to get away from politics, I really can't. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm not going to deal with some of the flashpoint topics of the day because those things are getting exhausted, 
exhausting. So I'm going to stay away from those, recognizing that theological discussions are political discussions and political discussions are theological discussions. But let's set some of the the trivial uh, news of the day aside, if we can, to discuss the issue of open theism, process theology, as I did yesterday, and more specifically today, the problem of evil, because it's our inability to understand how to reconcile the tension between the reality that evil does exist in our world with an omnipotent and sovereign and omniscient God. This is a problem that the human being, the human mind, philosophers of the ages have wrestled with for at least 2,000 years, and I would argue even further back than that. So let's take a break and acknowledge our sponsors. And when I get back, I'll give a brief summary of a couple quotes from yesterday's show to set the context to dig deeper into this whole issue of the problem of evil and how we, as Americans, as thinking human beings, as people, how we resolve and wrestle with this issue of injustice and evil and bad things existing in the world around us. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, so welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, yesterday at the end of the show, after saying something relatively similar to what I just said in terms of the overlap between theology and politics and politics and theology and that worldview matters, that's basically a good way to summarize what I just took five minutes to say, I shared with you the story about how I think that this whole idea of open theism, which, to summarize it, and process theology, same thing, great deal of overlap, hand-in-glove ideas, the open theists and the process theologians basically can't accept a sovereign God. They can't accept an omniscient God, an omnipotent God. They can't accept the fact that God is God and they are not because they don't like the God that they see in the Bible. Um, They lean toward what Richard Dawkins actually says outright in his book, The God Delusion, where he says that God is a sadistic child molester if we accept the definition that, uh, that we find of God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, because what God would sacrifice his own son for your sins in this cruel, inhumane way on a Roman cross. This must be a sadistic, evil God if he would really do that. That's Richard Dawkins. He's actually said that. Well, I would argue that these open theists like Thomas Ord and Clark Pinnock are frighteningly close to saying the same thing that the atheist Richard Dawkins says, because they redefine God to be an impotent God, a God that is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He can't control evil. In fact, they propose that God could actually lose in the face of evil. He could be the loser rather than the ultimate victor at the end of days. Is this the God that you worship? Is this the God you read about in the Bible? 
if this is who God is, is he worthy of your worship? Someone that is that weak, that neutered, that impotent, that uh, mutable, changeable, versus immutable, unchangeable. And I told you the story of Bart Campolo, my friend, who was a very popular speaker in the Christian college circuit when I was a vice president of a Christian college up in Michigan before I came down here to Oklahoma to become a university president. Bart is Tony Campolo's son, and Tony Campolo is relatively famous within the Christian liberal arts sectors. Tony Campolo was very popular back in the 90s as being a keynote speaker in what was called the Staley Lecture Series that took place on almost every Christian college campus across the nation. They brought in Tony Campolo to speak on the fact that Christianity had become too too materialized and that if you were wealthy and you wanted to realize the American dream, if you wanted to succeed and live a better life than your parents lived. In other words, if you wanted to get a better job, make more money, and move yourself up within society, economically speaking, that you were a bad Christian, if a Christian at all, because Christians should not be concerned with such things. In fact, Tony Campolo once said something akin to, no real Christian could drive a Mercedes-Benz. He really said that. In other words, if you're spending that kind of money on an automobile, then you're not obedient to the Scriptures. Now, to all of that, I say hogwash, nonsense. Um, why? Because Tony's own son, Bart Campolo, um, he came to our campus and spoke too, and I became friends with him. He would challenge our students in the similar fashion. He would challenge their materialism, and he would tell them that they needed to give that all up and go live uh, hand-to-mouth, basically, in the inner city and serve the poor. And I'm not disparaging that, if that's what God's called you to do, but the bottom line is, you know, God gives some people money so that they can give it away to others who don't have money that are actually in the trenches serving the poor. So I have had good people give millions of dollars, literally, I'm not exaggerating, to colleges that I've worked for that did great good as the result of their giving, and that never would have accomplished, been accomplished. The stuff that they paid for, the buildings that they built, the scholarships they funded, the programs that they bankrolled never would have been built and never would have taken place had it not been for their generosity. God blessed them with money, and they gave it away. Is that a bad thing? I hope you would all agree that the answer is no. Well, Tony Campolo and Bart Campolo were caught on the horns of this dilemma. Bart Campolo became a friend. He was in my house one night. We were debating a lot of these issues. I was a conservative Republican. He was an ultra-left-wing Democrat within the definitions that I've just shared with you in terms of social and economic issues. Bart thought the solution to poverty was greater, uh, greater involvement by the state, more money, more taxes, more redistribution that would solve all of the issues of poverty. And I disagreed. I said the solution was personal responsibility, personal culpability, uh, personal 
um, uh, work ethic. Uh, and the irony is Bart came from influence. Tony Campolo was his dad. I came from a blue-collar family where my dad was a truck driver and didn't have a high school diploma. And I always thought it, thought it peculiar that I was arguing with Bart about these things. Um, we, we were debating in my house one night a lot of the political issues of the day, most of them economic and social justice-related issues, uh, issues of poverty, issues of redistribution, as I've said. And I finally brought up God's sovereignty as part of my argument that I believed that God was sovereign in all of the good and even the challenging aspects of our existence. That he is in, he, he's, he's there in the midst of our struggles, ugly though they may be, sovereignly there, omnipotently there, omnisciently there. God is in the midst of the battle, of the underbelly of life, redeeming it, reclaiming it, and letting us be part of that redemption and that reclamation. Bart interrupted me in the midst of this angrily, and he basically almost shouted in my living room, let's say at one o'clock in the morning as we were solving the problems of the world and disagreeing at every turn. He looked me in the eye and he said, if God is sovereign over all this ugliness that I experience in my hometown of Philadelphia, he brought up a specific situation where an uncle that lived right down the street from him had been abusing a 12 or a 14-year-old niece. He said, if God is sovereign over that, and this is his quote, then I will not worship him. Doesn't that strike you as a rather stunning, stunning proclamation? He actually said this. And then I told you yesterday, Bart ultimately ended up following his worldview to its logical conclusion. Bart is now an atheist chaplain in California. He's a humanist chaplain, an atheist humanist chaplain who is arrogantly fighting against God and his law rather than humbly humbling himself in obedience to God. Bart has created something that he likes. Bart's very bright. He's a graduate of Brown University. He has created something that he likes when he thinks about God, and that creation looks an awful lot like Bart Campolo. He likes what he sees in the mirror in terms of him being the authority over what's just and not, as opposed to what he sees in the Bible and the authority of God being the final judge at the end of days. So what it all comes down to, in my view, is this. Everybody who buys into this process or open theism, whether it be Ord or Pennock or Bart Kempelow, they're saying the exact same thing. They're saying that if God is sovereign over my life and the bad things I don't like about my life, then I will not worship him. And I, people, we all have this choice. We're all on the horns of the same dilemma. We're either going to worship God or we're going to worship ourselves. It's really that simple. And I shared this quote with you in closing yesterday. So we'll use this as a segue to the next 10 minutes or so so of this show. Um, This is a quote from Arthur W. Pink. 
A.W. Pink, somebody that's worthy of your time. Go read some of his quotes. And I shared this quickly, so I'm going to go over it once, and then I'm going to read it again. You need to listen to this. In fact, get out a pen and paper if you're sitting next to it right now and write this down. Here it is. Nothing in all the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than God has eternally purposed it. Here is a foundation of faith. Here is a resting place for the intellect. Here is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. It is not blind fate, unbridled evil, man or devil, but the Lord Almighty who is ruling the world, ruling it according to his own good pleasure and for his own eternal glory. A. W. Pink. I'm going to give it to you one more time because it's good stuff. So here we go again. Again, write it down if you can. Or download this via the podcast version and listen to it several times over. Nothing in all the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than God has eternally purposed it. Here is a foundation of faith. Here is a resting place for the intellect. Here is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. It's not blind faith, unbridled evil, man or devil, but the Lord Almighty who is ruling the world, ruling it according to his own good pleasure and for his own eternal glory. Now, that is a very different God than the God of open theism and process theology. That is a very different God than the God of the Nazarene scholar Thomas Ord, or the humanist chaplain Bart Campolo, or the open theist Clark Pennock. That's a very different God than the woke church, to, than the liberation theology church, than the emergent church. Because unfortunately, in many of those emergent woke churches, whether they be evangelical or whether they be Catholic or anything in between, in many of them, they've redefined God because they don't like what it says in Scripture. They're threatened by it. They find it too oppressive. They find him too demanding. And when bad stuff happens, they can't reconcile that bad stuff with a good God. Now, if you're listening and you're saying to yourself, well, I've wrestled with that too. Well, you're not alone. I told you yesterday that when I was in my late 20s, maybe it was early 30s, I can't remember, I was going through a faith crisis and I went to the library and I got a stack of books on open theism, process theology, and I said to myself, I'm going to figure this out. How do I reconcile human freedom, free will, with a sovereign God, an omniscient God? And I thought, I can figure this out. I thought I was smart enough to do so. Well, you know what? I'm not. I'm not smart enough to reconcile a sovereign God with free will. I'm not smart enough to do that. And it's the admission that I'm not that actually released me to greater levels of faith. If God were small enough for me to understand him, then is that a God that you want to worship? Ask yourself that question. Now, my problem in my faith crisis was more the sovereignty issue and the free will issue, more so than the problem of evil issue. Stated simply, the problem of evil is 
if God is sovereign and he's good, then why does bad stuff happen? Because a sovereign God, an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God would clearly be able to stop the bad stuff. So why doesn't he? That's the problem of evil. Philosophers have stated it in more eloquent terms than what I just did, but I think that's fair enough to just let it rest there for the sake of this show. So if there's a good God who has all the power that he needs, in other words, omnipotent, all-powerful, if he has all the power that there is, then why doesn't he use that power to to stop the bad stuff? That's the problem of evil. And open theism tries to answer that. Like I said, my problem was more the sovereignty issue and free will issue, but it overlaps a great deal with the problem of evil. But I, I want to say this. For me, I was never really all that hung up on the technicalities of the problem of evil. Uh, it wasn't that big of a hang-up for me. And you might say, well, why not? Well, for me, it's this. It's basically, the reason I wasn't hung up on it was... Um, how should I? I've always thought that the whole thing is basically self-refuting. What do I mean by that? Well, here, the minute the skeptic acknowledges that there is evil, he's also acknowledging that there must be a God. So you can't use the problem of evil to disavow God, because how can there be any evil if there isn't an objective standard that defines what that evil is. And what is that objective standard? Well, it's not you. It's not politics. It's not power. It's not governments. It's not kings and princes. It's not potentates. If there is evil, objective evil, evil that is irrefutable, which is what the atheist like Bart Campolo is suggesting, well, at the same time you're saying that evil exists, you're also acknowledging that there must be a measuring rod of that evil and that measurement, that rod, that scale must be God. You get my point? So in other words, citing evil to refute God is kind of the same thing as citing evil to refute the objective definition of evil. Self-refuting. You're sawing off the branch upon which you sit. And the other thing is this. If there is no God and there is no objective definition of evil, and you might suggest, well, you need to go there then. Evil is not an objective thing. Well, then why, do, why are we even talking about it? Why are you voting f- to, uh, to correct it? Why are we voting for hope and change? Both of those words in Barack Obama's campaign suggested that you hope for goodness and you want change. Why, why do we talk about social justice? Because we think that some things are unjust. They're evil. They're wrong. And they need to be corrected and become more just. Well, who's defining this stuff? If, if, if evil is not a, an objective fact, if it isn't objectively defined, then we, sh- we shouldn't care a lick about even discussing it. If injustice isn't measured by something other than your opinion, then why do we care? It, And if there's no God defining injustice and evil, then I would suggest we're wasting our breath. And I've just wasted an entire show discussing it. And you've wasted the last 
23 minutes listening to me because it doesn't make any matter, make any difference if there is no real evil to be concerned about and if injustice isn't objectively defined. The fact is, just asking the question of why is there evil if there's a good God assumes a measuring rod outside of those things being measured so that we can do some measuring, C.S. Lewis, and it also confirms, in my mind, that human beings are made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. Therefore, we have this awareness of evil and injustice. Um, The truth of God is written on every human heart, St. Paul, the Church of Romans. So here's my point. We, meaning human beings, we alone care about this entire discussion. I've got two Labradors, two Labrador retrievers. Their names are Chip, Chocolate Chip, and Bear, Brown Bear. And I can tell you this, they don't sit around wondering about good and evil. I I have two steers that I'm raising. Their their names are Biff and Bo. Biff and Bo don't wander about the field fretting about injustice. But the dogs don't care about good and evil, and my cows don't fret about what's just and unjust. And I have my horses. They don't, I know, I've never gone out there yet and found them arguing about right and wrong. My wife has chickens. We have our own eggs. Uh, I don't think they've ever been found to be debating love and hate and which is good and which is wrong. Human beings are alone in this capacity. We care about this stuff, and there's a reason. We have the truth of God printed on our hearts, and that truth of God assumes there is a God, an ultimate judge that gives us what the definition of justice and what is unjust, a God that defines evil and defines goodness. If there is evil people, if you're going to wrestle with the problem of evil, think of it this way. You just admitted that there is a God, and the only way to get away from that is to deny that evil is even meaningful. And basically now you're at the point of being a nihilist. You're being a radical Darwinist. Survival of the fittest is all that matters. You know, live and let live for tomorrow you will die. And what you need to do is just strive to be among the fit that squash and eliminate those that are unfit because it's your survival and yours alone. That's all that matters in human existence. Do you really want to go there? Is that really the worldview that you want to embrace? I would suggest no, because if you've disagreed with anything I've said in this show and you've said, oh, I don't like your logic, I don't like your reasoning, then likewise, you just admitted that there must be a measuring rod outside of your view and my view that is going to judge whether I'm right or I'm wrong or whether or not you're right. Whether or not you're right or whether or not you're wrong. The problem of evil is not a problem at all, people. It actually confirms the existence of God rather than refutes it. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.